Welcome to a special Halloween edition of the Non-Believer Bible Club. There's nothing, there's nothing special. It's not a special. It has nothing to do with Halloween. I'm not even going to mention Halloween. It's Halloween today. Happy Halloween. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But on the note of what I am talking about, it has been suggested to me that while my commentary is insightful, engaging, nearly perfect, it may be hard to follow for those just tuning in. Indeed, in the short pages we've gone through so far, we've covered a lot of material. Incest, debauchery, punishment, slavery, yes, but also selflessness, duty, growth, and forgiveness. At this moment, let's taketh a look back at everything we've covered in the book of Genesis so far. It's non-believer recap time. Non-believer recap time. The book of Genesis has been consistently a story of generations. The first generations we get are not human. Genesis chapter 4 verse 2. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. So the first generations are the first things to ever exist. But from here, we are introduced to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. They are not the first humans whom Jewish scholars speculate were unisex proto-human things. But anyway, these two people start the trend that will echo down through their multiple generations and about 2,000 years between them and their descendant Abraham. Sin. All right, let's play a little game of good and bad. Eve, the woman, is seduced by a snake to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She seduces Adam. Adam is okay with it. And they are kicked out before they can eat from the tree of life and become immortal. Bad. Next, their son Cain kills their son Abel. Bad. They have one more son, Seth. Good. Seth fathers the generations that produce Noah. But the sons of Cain have populated the earth. Bad. God hard resets humanity by drowning all of them except for Noah, who survives with his family and all the animals until the floodwaters recede. He makes a covenant with God. God promises not to kill us. Good. Noah's son Ham sees him naked in his tent and or has sex with either him or his wife slash mom. Bad. 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 Bad Ham. This is what's interesting. Despite God's ethical eugenics project, trying and mostly succeeding to cultivate the best possible humans, there's always this crazy margin of error where sin creepeth sin. Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth are literally the chosen best men on the planet. And one of them, Ham, fathers a line that creates the Tower of Babel. That potential for bad is always there. Anyway, this really comes to a head when the descendants of the good son, Shem, well, Japheth is good, but I guess he's middle of the road good. So Shem fathers the line that produces Abraham, the man who is considered the patriarch of the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. From here, we ditch the mythological, and these characters start having some real down-to-earth problems. Men fight over wells. Abram journeys from his father's house, and Egyptians want to take his wife. But he said she was his sister, so they wouldn't kill him, but God steps in to defend Abraham. But she's also actually his half-sister, whatever. As Abraham matures, the biggest problem at this stage is not 
overcoming evil, but trusting God with the plan. God promises to make Abram the father of a great nation, but Abram and his wife Sarai get antsy. Sarai is barren, and she commands Abram to give her children through her maid Hagar. And Abraham says, yeah, okay, yeah, it must be done. So this father's Ishmael, considered mythologically to be the father of the Arab people, who will be at odds with the descendants of his other son, Isaac, and it creates a lot of familial strife. It's real awkward. Good move, Abram. So through a long process of adventuring, mistakes, and understanding, God asks for just a little bit of flesh off of Abram's penis, and the covenant is sealed. Abram is renamed Abraham. Sarai renamed Sarah, and she conceives Isaac at 90 years old. God tests Abraham one final time, but after a life of taking things into his own hands, Abraham finally listens and is prepared to kill his son Isaac, which God stops, promising that he will fulfill his oath to make him father of a great nation. This isn't just interesting because, yeah, it's, this is a really interesting story, but For Abraham specifically, he's one of the first ones that God actually talks to, like on a day-to-day basis. Usually like for Noah, he, or she, or it, or huh, comes down and says, hey, do this or die, (laughs) or you're going to die. But with Abraham, they have conversations. He's like, maybe you should, you know, not kill everyone in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he does eventually kill almost everyone in Sodom and Gomorrah. But they're able to have a conversation about it. God ends up sparing Lot who it turns out is a real creep, but that's besides the point. Abraham is the turning point. That's the point. From here, Isaac, his son, becomes an old man, builds wells like his dad, and fathers two kids with his wife, Rebecca, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is a jerk who tricks his brother out of his birthright as the first son, and then flees, so Esau doesn't kill him. So that's an interesting development. We've gone from brothers fighting and killing each other, to wanting to kill each other, but not. So God's plan works. (laughs) In an interesting turn, Jacob finds and makes a personal covenant with God in the wilderness. Then he works for his uncle Laban for seven years for his daughter's handed marriage. He's tricked into marrying the eldest daughter, Leah, whom he does not love, and works another seven years for the original daughter, Rachel's hand. After six more years of cattle rearing, Jacob gets his revenge by breeding strong goats for himself, finally turning the tables on Laban and becoming rich. They leave his lands with about 11 kids that they have at this point. Laban gives chase. God says, don't mess with my boy. Laban and Jacob put aside their differences and part ways in grudging peace. So that's the plot so far. But what does it all mean? Highlights. Man is fallible and incredibly prone towards sin, which must be rejected. God punishes evil, but rewards goodness. God must be obeyed, not only because he has a plan and can see the future, but rash actions for present gain can lead to unintended consequences. Read children. Obeying God is about submitting yourself to the best possible good. Lastly, in order to become a man who submits, paradoxically, you must also be a man who leaves the comfort of home, stands up for what's right, fights for what's his. Abraham battles Canaanites who kidnap his nephew Lot. 
Jacob confronts his manipulating uncle Laban. Actually, Jacob's dad, Isaac, had a lot of moments of confrontation, but he was able to solve it with peace. So there's, there's a way too. The point is, life is about facing conflict, not hiding from conflict. But the only way to get through is with, you guessed it, faith. We have to be in control of our lives, but we can't take control because that's when we mess up. We smother it. It's a plant. It must have room to breathe and it must grow and get a lot of sun. Jacob has taken control of his life. Though we have yet to see how he fits into God's plan, joineth me as Jacob begins the long journey back home. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. 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 And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir. Seir? The country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Look, I really fucked him over. I'm going to saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my Lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus. Ooh, thy servant. Appropriately humble. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. This is great. This is all I could hope for. He's been humbled by the 20 years of pure drudge work, and now he's rich, but grounded. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Hmm. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy in the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shewed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats, and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes, and twenty rams, thirty milch camels with their colts, forty kine, and ten bulls, twenty she-asses, and ten foals. Twenty she-asses, but where are the he-asses? And he delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, 
when Esau, my brother, meeteth thee. Page turn. And asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto unto Esau when ye find him. I love that presentation. It's one thing to give somebody a present all at once. It's another to separate it into stages. Oh, I have she-goats and goats and ewes and rams. (laughs) And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night, and took his two wives, and his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. (laughs) I like to wrestle. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Hmm. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel, the sun rose. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. So this is a very famous account. I was very excited to read this. I, I'm, uh, I'm interested in the circumstances in this state of indeterminacy between Jacob and Esau as he waits to see how their relationship will resolve if he's still angry after 20 years. So Jacob has, if it isn't clear enough, wrestled with an angel. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. That's interesting. So he just starts, we don't really get a clear understanding of when this starts happening. Just that he started wrestling with someone, and Jacob Jacob doesn't want to lose, so they wrestle until daybreak. It turns out this person is an angel, and he blesses him. So the meaning of Penuel is face of God, because 
32, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Face of God, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. But it's called Penuel second, and <laughs> Peniel the first. Um, Peniel, something that doesn't sound homoerotic. This seems to be regarded as either a spelling error, which seems unlikely because of how close they are to each other, or just that the authors had some reason to spell this place differently. Either way, Jacob has now been renamed, similar to his patriarchs. He started as Jacob, and he is now known as Israel, meaning God strives, or he who strives with God which is interesting terminology because it seems that that could be someone who strives with or against God. His struggles against God are for God. I may have covered this earlier, but um, one of the interesting characterizations of Satan, the ultimate evil, is that he tries to be the opposite of God, but is rendered impotent because even with his every contrary striving He can't help but set into motion the plan of God. For instance, his spreading of evil in the land only sets the stage for the arrival of Jesus. There's nothing that even the most evil creature being can do in the face of what God needs to happen. Sort of that even though it looks like things are going bad, nothing can change the overall plan. So that's very interesting name, Israel. He who strives with God. Because either way the striving goes, with or against, all is with God in the end. It's a name of great strength and ultimate deference. Anyway, moving on. Chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came and with him four hundred men. (laughs) And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and the children foremost, and Leah, Leah, and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Hmm. And he lifted up his eyes, and saw the women and the children, and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near, and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near, and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. That's really nice. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face, as though I had seen the face of God and thou wast pleased with me. (laughs) And he has just seen the face of God. So, what a statement. 
Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. Ooh, so we have the first written account of, no, please, I'm fine. No, really. Man, you sure? Take it. All right. Man, we really just haven't changed at all. And he said, let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with the young, with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Can't overdrive them. Have to be careful with the kids. They are crossing like a fucking desert. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure, until I come unto my Lord, unto Seir. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built him an house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. All right. Succoth? Succoth. 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 And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Sechem, which in the land which is in the land of Canaan. Uh-oh. When he came from Padan Aram and pitched his tent before the city, and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Sechem's father, for an hundred pieces of money. <gasps> Pieces of money. I like that currency. We need to go back to that. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. El Elote! No, it's not Elote. It's Elohe. El Elohe. Uh, referring to El, another name for God. What he's done is called the altar the God of Israel. Using the name that God has given him. Chapter 34. Mm, I've heard this story. It's not a good one. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, I guess that should be Dina, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Sechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. He raped her. And his soul clave unto Dina, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Sheshem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dina, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Sechem, Sechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. Okay. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son, Sheshach, asshole, longeth, for your daughter. 
I pray you give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. And Sheshem said unto her father, and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me, I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. Unto us. He who is not circumcised is cut off from his people, if you remember. But in this will we consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. Holy shit. What a prank. But if ye will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Seshem, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to do the thing, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. Now he deferred not, meaning he did not argue. He did not defer, because he thinks things are going his way. And he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And Hamor and Seshem, his son, came unto the gate of their city, and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised, shall not the cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Man, these guys are just in it for the money. Only let us be consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. And unto Hamor, and unto Chechem, his son, hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city. And every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. (laughs) And it came to pass on the third day. Good thing it's Halloween. This is a horror story. And when it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, (laughs) they were very sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. Damn. And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dina out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. And they, they took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives they took captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, 
ye have troubled me, to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me, and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Interesting. So was Jacob going to go along with it? Either way, he did not intend for his sons to go ham and kill everybody. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Listen, I get why they're mad. I really do. Hmm. End of the chapter. Chapter 35. And God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. So this is the end of the polytheism of the time and of the region, specifically going away. Because they would still have house gods, family gods. If you remember, Rachel stole the gods of her father. They're, they're images, they're idols. So they're done with idol worship. Jacob is all in. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. Interesting. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. <laughs> gonna bury that too. That's locked away in the vault. We're not going to talk about that. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Lucky. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, the Bethel of God, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Hmm. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bachuth. Reading about this, the name translates to the weeping oak, I guess a metaphor of the sadness that they feel, which is interesting because she hasn't really been mentioned or featured very prominently. She was just, she was Rebecca, Jacob, now Israel's wife's nurse. One interpretation seems to point that this could just be a footnote, kind of random. Continuing, and God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padamaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. This already happened. So, is this a reaffirmation of what we saw before? Or is it a hangnail from another writer? It doesn't seem clear. But what does seem clear is that Jacob's name is indeed now Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. 
And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured his oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And if I didn't mention it before, Bethel means the house of God. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, Rachel died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died, and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. I don't know where he got this pillar thing, but it seems like his thing. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Hmm. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Oh, and Israel heard it. Now, oh, wait, he heard it? Ugh, like he, he heard about it? Or he was out? <laughs> oh, that's not good. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. Ah, the firstborn, man, Rube, come on. And Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned, together again after all this time. And the years of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost, and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Here, we will end the reading for today. There are so many things to take away from this, but I'm only going to focus on one. Okay, well, first of all, love the family coming together stuff. Esau and Jacob reuniting after so long. I don't know why. I'm not like, I'm not a very sentimental guy. I guess I am a very sentimental guy. I just really like all the, like, Laban kissing his children and grandchildren these two coming together after Esau was like I'm gonna kill my brother that's this is great I, it's real wholesome stuff I approve also the mafia style family justice that goes on <laughs> interesting it says Jacob held his peace clearly his sons could not so I'm interested to look more into that but the thing that has really captured my imagination the most is the struggle with the angel. Some people say that it was in fact God whom he was struggling with. I read uh, an interpretation somewhere 
in the process of writing this episode. And it said one thing that it is a old custom, one that I actually knew, but I didn't put this together, that to give someone your name is sort of like giving, it's, it's revealing yourself, but also in a superstitious way. They believed that it gave someone power over you. And that totally changed my perspective. So let's read this interaction one more time. Jacob is a liar. He lied about his name in the darkness of his father's tent, the the, the darkness of his eyes, because Isaac was blind. He said, I am Esau. When he's attacked by a man in the night, first of all, he's up at night. He's up at night waiting to see his brother, waiting to see his recompense because he wronged his brother. I think he's up. He's guilty. He can't sleep. He's up at night. And then he's attacked by a man. He probably thinks, shit, it's Esau. He's back. He's come to fight me. He's being tormented by his guilt. And then he has this spiritual struggle that lasts throughout the night. The sun has not risen yet. So when God or the angel asks Jacob for his name, he's asking him to reveal himself. He's saying, you... Jacob, the liar, take responsibility for who you are, which he does. God recognizes this and then grants him a new name. The name Jacob no longer has any power over him. He is now Israel, one who strives with God. A new name, a new man, a new start. And then what is this? This is forgiveness for past sins. This is what this religion is all about. And then lastly, Israel, newly minted, asks God for his name. And he seems evasive, but the question that God responds with, I think, is also profound. I don't, it's, I don't think it's an evasion. Genesis thirty-two twenty-nine, And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? Why do you want to know? There is no answer. It's not a power play. I feel there's like a more sublime truth. Jacob is still in contest mode. God asks him why he needs to know. Jacob decides that he doesn't need to know. He's won, so to speak, the physical match. But then there's this spiritual mystery match where he says, okay, well, what's your name? And he's like, why? Jacob's like, oh, shit. I guess it doesn't matter. God God points out to him that it doesn't matter. He agrees. He gives in. So he does win, but then he also submits and he becomes a new man. God isn't just unknowable. He is self-evident. So either he doesn't have to answer because Jacob, Israel doesn't want to know, or not answering is his answer. Man can strive 
physically, but the mental, spiritual mystery is something that we'll always be subject to. <sighs> yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. So, next time you are at a point of impasse, ask yourself, why do you ask? Farewell, my creeping things. Until next time, thank you as always for listening to the Non-Believer Bible Club. Thank you.